If you would this morning, please open with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter four, starting in verse five, Matthew chapter four, starting in verse five, I'll read verses five through seven, and then we'll slowly make our way through them. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Father, we come to you now and we ask that your word would come alive in our hearts, Lord, that you quicken our ears to hear and our hearts to understand and our, and our wills to obey and to follow. God, we are living in perilous times and, and we ask that we would be mindful of your spirit. We would prioritize your word above all God and your will. Help us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow you uh, starting right now. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, something we've seen so, uh, so far in the temptations of in Matthew chapter four is one of the ways that Jesus combats temptation is that he wields the word of God. He wields the word of God. We see there Jesus responds in all three. Well, we will see eventually one of these days, but it is, he says, it is written. This is how he responds to Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. And we saw last Sunday in the first temptation verses three and four, where it says, and the tempter came to him. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is doing here is he's quoting back in the law, Deuteronomy chapter eight, specifically verse three, which says, and he humbled you and let your hunger, uh, let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so what the Lord Jesus was doing is he was combating the deception and the temptations of the devil with the truth of the word of God applied to what was happening. And so Jesus knowing the word of God, apparently being the word of God in the flesh, being the offer of the word. Okay. Right. Right. He takes a page out of Israel's history, right? And speak which, that speaks of God's purpose of allowing them to hunger in the wilderness. And so what Jesus is going through, Israel had gone through before where Jesus, where Israel failed, Jesus will succeed. And we, we know that we talked about that last week, but the reason why God allowed them to struggle in the wilderness to go hungry was to test what was in their hearts to reveal what was going on, where their faith was. And Jesus quotes this to Satan because Jesus knows that God is testing him. Remember last week we spoke with it, where the enemy tempts God is testing where God tests the enemy tempts two different angles there. God can't tempt us with evil. That is not within his nature. But where God does test us, the enemy will sweep in, sweep in and use that as an opportunity to tempt us away from God. 
and where Satan is tempting us, God will test us to bring us closer to him. But unlike Israel who murmured and complained for their lack of food and their desire for the delicacies of Egypt, anybody come out of the world and uh, all of a sudden you find yourself in a wilderness of Christianity. Sometimes, even though there's a lot of great things, you're like, ah, I just want to go back to Egypt. Anybody else? Well, Israel murmured and complained. And unlike them, Jesus said, no, life is not found back in Egypt. Life is not found in bread alone. That's only will sustain you for a little bit, but true life is in God. And this is what Satan was after. He was trying to get Jesus, not not as if he could, but trying to get Jesus to go ahead and do the short way. Instead of doing God's will, let's do man's way. That was, that's the big picture there. Instead of feeding upon the word and having real life, he wanted him to feed upon the bread that was in front of him, thinking that that will truly sustain him. You can go back and listen to last week. But so Jesus responds to temptation with what? With scripture. He says, it is written. Think of the temptations that are before us these, these days in, in the way the world is telling us to think about stuff in, in what might be happening with you personally or on a day-to-day basis or what happens in relationships and all this type of stuff. Jesus responded to his temptation with scripture. And so that in the temptation uh, thrown upon us by the devil, we also must respond as the Lord did with a spiritual response, a spiritual defense, a with spiritual weaponry. And that weapon in part is found in wielding the word of truth the word of God. And Jesus said, it is written in all three of these responses. And I think it's important to, to kind of slow down and dwell on this as I, as I was studying this, because this is what we're facing here as a culture. How do we respond to everything? What is truth? We're having a real struggle with that in our society. I think it's important we slow down and dwell on this for a moment and to realize that we are not going to know what the lie is unless we know what the truth is. Does that make sense? The reason why we're having a very difficult time, I think as believers, even in my, my own struggles, because the lie is so prevalent and so deceptive and so broad spread over everywhere and then creeping into everything that it's hard for us to discern what the lie is because we're not trained in the truth. You know, I mean, how many of you kind of come up to something and, and you might, you kind of go, I know something's off, but I don't know why anybody else. And so your discernment's kicking because the spirit of God is in you, but you don't necessarily, you're not refined enough. You don't know enough to, to know what the actual deception of the lie is. And that is the beauty of the section of scripture we're in that Satan says one thing and Jesus gets to the heart of it. And we as his followers are called to that same discernment. And so I think it's important for us to dwell on this for a moment, to realize that we're not going to know the lie until we grow in our knowledge of the truth. To be able to discern the lie, we must study the truth. And so if we're going to have victory over temptation by wielding the word of God, we must be devoted to both the knowledge of the truth and the application of truth in our lives. 
Hebrews 5.14 says this. There's a context there. I'm not going to get into it, but it says, but solid food referring to the truth of the word of God is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. How? By constant practice to distinguish what? Good from evil. Listen, what the word of God will do in your life as you meditate upon it, as you open your heart, as you pray and you ask, your father will begin to train you about his character, his ways, his life, how he sees stuff, how he views the world. And by constant use, by hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing, you are trained, you grow up, you become Christ-like and your maturity develops and you're able to discern good from evil. You're able to discern the lie from the truth. You're able to understand when the temptation comes, you can see through the bait to the hook. Make sense? And so we must grow in our knowledge of the word, not for knowledge's sake. We know that lo- that knowledge puffs up, amen, but love builds up, but make no mistake. That is not a verse that you use to discard knowledge. It's saying that you must have love. That's what it's going to produce in you. The knowledge of God is going to produce love in you. It's not this, you know, weird. Oh, you know, I know love God and it's just, you know, just some kind of strange mystical stuff. We know him. We've come to know him by knowing him. We know how he is and how he acts and how he would see a certain situation. And we grow in that understanding as we're around him and around one another. And so we grow in Christ likeness because we know him. We know his character. We know his word. We see how he's interacted with people over the ages in different circumstances. Amen. Yeah. And so we, we gain a discernment of what is of the flesh, what is of the devil, what is of the world and what is of the spirit. And we need this today. Paul prayed for the church in Colossae in the Colossian, in the book of Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 12. And this is how Paul prayed for the church. And this is how we should pray for one another. And I should pray for you. And so from the day we heard, We have not heard that you've come to the Lord. We have not ceased to pray for you. How? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prayed for the church that you, that I, so to speak, this is how the Lord, this is what the Lord would have for us, that we would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Boy, we have a lot of earthly wisdom and understanding that we would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that we would please the Lord in how we live, that we would walk worthy according to the call that we've been given, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. We need his power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This is speaking of the trials and life we're in. Now we need Christ and his wisdom and his knowledge so that we'd be strengthened and spiritually to face the spiritual fight that we have before us. This isn't just magically transfer and appear. This is something, this is wrought out by prayer and obedience in our lives. And the Holy spirit enacts that in us. He, he, he purposes that in us. He compels us towards it. 
Amen. But faith responds to that. And so God, it's not just, Hey, uh, you know, I want to know more about you and do nothing about it. It's no, we're praying. And then we seek and we find, we ask, we knock and God reveals it to us. This is the preciousness of being in his kingdom. He rewards those who diligently seek him, but it talks, it goes on and on. So we must be devoted to grow in the knowledge of the word because we're called to wield it. We're called to wield it. How many of us, you know, drivers training. Remember back in the day, I'm just going back to something we most know. You don't just get behind a a car and start going. I know this might be your story. (laughs) You know, if that's your origin story, great. Have fun. But I mean, there's a little bit of training that the government requires before you do that, right? Before you get into some powerful vehicle and you get going, right? They make you go through classes. They make you understand. They make you understand the weight of the situation you're in, what the laws are, how everything interacts. And so we must also be devoted because God has given us a very powerful weapon, the word of God, and it is to be wielded against a very powerful spiritual enemy. And this is to be wielded in our fight against temptation. And what time uh, with the Lord and his word produces is in us is that Christ-like discernment, how to wield it, when to wield it, and to know what we're wielding it against. Does that make sense? You know, I don't think we would, uh, you know, Satan is crafty. He's powerful. You know, it's not as if he sits there and goes, Hey, I want you to worship me. He does that to Jesus. Right. And we'll get to that next week. Why don't you all become Satanists? Is that his like public campaign in the world? No, he gets to do that through the back door. Just don't worship God. And therefore you're under my power and control. That's how he does it. That's it. So no one would say, Hey, I'm a Satanist, but you know what? If you're not under the power of God, you're under the power of the evil one. It's one or the other. That's the way the Lord puts it out. That's the way he sees it. You're the for me or against me. And so that's kind of stark, but he's clever. He's very clever. Listen to this case in point. Satan comes at Jesus with craftiness and temptation. Notice this. I don't think we'd understand what Satan is getting at in, in, in these temptations without Jesus's response. We have a lot of guesses, but I don't think we'd really get to it. Satan says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And I could ask you, and we do it Bible studies. What do you think this means? And we've got 15 different answers about what it means. Right. And we all kind of try to discern the Lord and we match scriptures and we try to seek what God is saying here. Well, so too, what we are being tempted with we often just see the bait and not the hook behind it. He's very clever. He's very crafty. We just see the hook. I mean, we just see the bait and not the hook, but Jesus being the offer of the word, right? He knows how to discern. He discerns good and evil. And his is response to Satan's call for him. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, this is not a matter of feeding yourself. This is a matter of life. That's the true issue. That's what Satan was after. Is life from the flesh or is it from the spirit? That's what the core issue was. Does it come from worldly stuff or does it true life come from God? 
And Jesus was able to discern the life from the truth. You see, there is discernment in light of the truth and Jesus wields the word and he says, it is written. And as believers, the enemy is throwing so much at, at us. Why is abortion evil? It is. Why is abortion evil? I'm just saying, why is a man, a man and a woman, a woman? And they are. Why is marriage only between a man and a woman, no matter what the government says? And it is. Why is the slogan love is love wrong? Sounds so good. Who's against love? You know, we must be committed to knowing the truth and living the truth so that we can give a defense for the hope that lies within us. What is coming our way is of the doctrine of demons. That's what's going on. It is the result of satanically inspired retrobate minded people. And I don't say that in judgment, having been one of them. Okay. By the grace of God, go I. But the lies that sweep over our culture, they are crafty and they are deceitful. And we, the church must stand upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and not give into the deception. We must continue in his word. We must continue in his love. Amen. And our love for one another. And that is our witness to the world around us. Not the world's way of saying what our witness is the way God says our witnesses, you know, we get into the situation, you know, uh, I should just stick to my notes, but you know, like in, in worship, we want to tell God what worship is, right? Oh, I don't want to go to that church because I don't worship. What does that mean? There might be valid reasons behind all that kind of stuff, but, oh, I didn't worship today or, 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 you know, I don't like their worship and all this kind of stuff. Well, what is, we got to bypass all that and go, what is acceptable worship to God? What does God say worship is? You know, oh, you know, I don't worship God at church. I worship God in the mountains. You can, but he also says where to worship and when to worship and how to worship and what is pleasing to him. Oh, I don't lift my hands. Read the Psalms church. And by the way, better not lift your hands if it's not in your heart first. So that's a problem too, right? So I'm just saying there's, there's things that we come to from a worldly man centered idea and we spiritualize it. But we're in a spiritual battle church and the battle requires spiritual weapons. wielded by spiritual people, spirit filled people, spiritually minded people against a spiritual enemy who is very powerful and who has entrenched himself in the minds and the hearts of the world around us. That's what's happened. You know, in second Corinthians 10, starting in verse three, Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in lot, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience. When your disobedience is complete, I'm not going to expound on everything within there. But so in order to be successful in our battle against the adversary in the area of temptation, we must recognize that in Christ, we have divine power in Christ. You have divine power to what to destroy Satan's strongholds. Now I know it gets weird and charismatic sometimes, but the word there for strongholds has the idea of a fortress, right? That's the word fortress in the Greek. The enemy is entrenched as in a fortress in the minds and the hearts of people in the minds and the hearts of society, in the minds and the hearts of people. This is a demonic influence. It is a doctrine of demons taking heart in the roots of men. And it's a stronghold. He holds people captive. That is what he does. And that's the situation we're in. And you don't tear down a fortress with a spork. (laughs) Right? Wrong tool. You need bunker busters and things that like, right? Throw that over into the spiritual realm. You don't use a spork in a spiritual fight. You don't use, you don't use nuclear weapons, real tactical nuclear weapons in a spiritual battle. It won't work because our enemy is not physical. He's spiritual. So the mightiest weapons we have on earth in America is we've got stuff flying around. Who knows what's going on there, right? We've got some mighty weapons, tactical weapons, clever weapons. They're nothing. They will do nothing in our fight against the enemy. God has given us divine power in Christ with divine spiritual weapons. Do we know that God has given you what you need to tear down the enemy. And that's important. So what do we do? We wield the word of truth and other spiritual weapons that we have in Christ to destroy those strongholds. There are things that we believe that are wrong, that are lies. There are things that family members you believe that are wrong. that are lies that are contrary to the word of God. And as you grow in the word of God, you realize their lies and the enemy starts to his stronghold starts to crack because the truth gets in there and in wit in, in, in pushes its way in and the light shines in if their heart is open. And that's a, that's a whole discussion in itself. And so if we think we're going to be victorious in our battle with our own wisdom, it is like trying to take down a fortress with a spork in our own strength against our adversaries. We're not going to win. Think about this. This is why Paul says in Ephesians six, very important for you to know these passages, Ephesians six verses 10 through 20. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice where the strength is over our enemy. It's in his might and we're to be strong in him 
verse 11. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If you don't put it on, you're not standing. There is no middle ground. You must actively in faith, put on what God has given you for the battle. You must put on the knowledge of Christ. You must seek him. You must open your word and let the spirit teach you and discern you and use it day after day in your life. Amen. And as he shows you, you're wrong. You repent and you follow the fruit of repentance in our life. And we grow in discernment. And then God graciously gives us influence over others where we share the truth and lead them to the Lord as we go along. What an act of grace, but put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. And now he starts to describe the ranks of the, the spiritual enemy we face rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is describing, listen, just as we have a military with generals all the way down to privates first class, right? Well, the enemy has, seems to have ranks of different principalities and powers. And so that's a whole discussion there, but our strength in our fighting against them is in the Lord and his power and his might, because Jesus Christ is seated above all principalities and all powers. He is at the right hand of the father right now. And you in Christ are seated with him there. Amen. I have a hallelujah, please. Yes. We wrestle, we battle, we fight in the spirit and not in the flesh. And one of the tactics of the enemy is to deceive us into thinking of the battle is what we see instead of what is raging behind what we see. Church, when you see all this come upon our nation, realize that there's something behind it. Yes, we're not held irresponsible. Uh, you know, yes, we're held responsible for what we do. I don't want to say that that but we are under the influence of the enemy. When the very thing, I mean, you think about it you think of the rainbow flag, just for example, I know I'm, I'm hitting them. These are things that are thing. That's the very symbol that God gave that he would not destroy the earth again by water. When all the kinds of manner of evil were going on. You see, we we're just blind. It's, it's not like, you know, the, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not a symbol of like, you know, in your face, it's, it's more of a, like, Hey, this is like a happy, peaceful type of rainbow thing, but that's not what's going on behind the scenes. That's a shot across the bow. The enemy wants us to look at the people and the circumstances and all these things are going in front of us instead of seeing what is truly going on behind the scenes. There is a, a satanic fight. And so all our efforts can go into the wrong fight with no effect. We must wrestle in the spirit church. An example, praying for the church. You know, I realize it's Memorial day weekend and everybody's made the wrong decision to go out in the mountains right now, but <laughs> I mean, what can you do? Right. <laughs> I got to get out. It's beautiful. But sometimes, you know, I know you do this for me too, but, but I won't see you for a bit and I feel disconnected and I want to call, but, and, and I go, where, where are they? What's going on? And, and, and there's something in my spirit. And, and as I just pray, 
I start to pray. And all of a sudden we connect. There's, there's a, there's a connection there. Like you show up to church or I meet you somewhere, whatever it is. And it's like, so oftentimes I've got this whole mental thing going on and I just need to pray for the person. And as I pray, God does something and he was stirring my heart to pray. But if I didn't know that I would enter into a whole bunch of junk that I didn't need to get into. And I just needed to pray for them. Amen. Amen. So prayer, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to verse 13 to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand the day of evil includes the day of temptation. We are called to make a stand like our Lord in God's armor. And Paul says in verse 17, so I'm just going to skip down the bottom of that Ephesians chapter two there are sorry, Ephesians chapter two, six um, verse 17 specifically calls us to then wield the sword of the spirit. He describes all the armor we have. And he goes, now take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He tells us, pick it up. Well, I don't know how to handle it. Well, let's figure that out. Right. And so we combat the enemy with the truth of the word of God, knowing the word. Now, how many of you feel inadequate in what, in your knowledge of the word, the enemy wants you to stay there because he definitely does not want you to pick up that weapon. And so, you know what? You don't know as much as so-and-so. So you just stay right there. Yeah. That's not for you. That's not, that's, you're just not, you just don't have the mind for it. You're not smart enough. Just stay ineffective. Don't pick that up. Cause if you dare pick that up, he's going to get cut and you're going to be learning how to use it. And you're going to cut yourself too. Right. But you're going to become a force of what God has called you to do, not in physically attacking people, but praying for people and fighting against the enemy that's behind the scenes and drawing them to Christ through the truth and through love. Amen. And so through it, through willing the word of God and prayer and faith, we tear down strongholds. God does that through us in the grace and power of our Lord alone. So brothers and sisters pray for a hunger and a thirst for the word so that you may know it and be discerning in these times that we live in. We need to know the truth so we can know what the world's going on. We're not going to know everything, but we need to know more than we do. Why? Because it's all about his glory. It's all about his name. We're Christians. What does that even mean? What does that represent? What are we saying to the world? How are we to act in certain circumstances when there's compelled speech and all these things happen? What is love according to God? Does it abandon truth? All these things. In church, we need God's discernment in these days because look at how the enemy comes at Jesus. And this will be short here in verse five. Look at how it comes at him with the second temptation. We need discernment and knowledge because look at what the enemy does. And you can be sure he's going to come at you like this. Then the devil took him on the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, he will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Who's quoting what there. And Jesus said to him again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord, your God to test. Did you catch what the devil did? What was he doing? 
Yeah, Satan knows his Bible, not his Bible. He knows the word and I bet you he knows it better than us. Isn't that crazy? And so we, we see first that, you, that the devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple way up high there in Jerusalem and Satan attempt and tempts Jesus to jump off. Now that sounds like a crazy temptation. It's like, okay, hey, jump off this bridge. Now some people might be dealing with that. Don't do that. No good situation in that, but he uses scripture. He says, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down. Why? Because it's written because the Bible says that God's going to catch you. And he's quoting Psalm 91, 11 and 12 there. And so what we need to know as well about the enemy is that the enemy knows the Bible and he will twist the word of God. The enemy Whenever he handles the word of God, he will twist it. He will twist it. And this is really important. He fights dirty. He fights dirty. He did this with Eve in the garden. He's never changed. The first things out of Satan's mouth, the first words that we have recorded out of Satan's mouth is there in Genesis three, one, he says to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? What did he do? Does that what God said? No, God didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree. So you can eat from all the trees except for that one, because you're going to die if you do that. But he takes it and he twists it so that Eve has a wrong perception of God and that she feels that she's being left out and all this nonsense that the enemy does, how God is not being compassionate. And he misquoted God here but that is what the enemy does. He takes what God says and he twists it out of context. And this is why there's so much confusion today by many people in many churches, because the leaders do not teach the word of God. They do not teach what it says. They twist the word of God to meet their own sinful desires and to meet whatever sinful desires are in the culture of the people, because it's not about God's glory. It's about our own sinfulness. So for example, there are people who do not understand that God's love is not a license for sin. I keep repeating these things because they're heavy in our culture. God's grace is not grace to remain in sin. Do we understand that? God is loving. God is gracious. God is kind. That does not translate into do what you want to do. I'm good with it. Cause the greater thing is me being compassionate as opposed to you turning. No, it's grace to turn. Kindness to turn as kindness leads us to repentance, right? But Satan will twist God's definition of sin of grace and love and so forth and leave the undiscerning with a sense of spirituality. When in actuality, he is using God's words as a means of justifying, gratifying the flesh as he's trying to do here with Jesus jump and he'll catch you. You're going to be famous. It's about you, not your father. And so you have Satan's ministers out there. I'm not going to let up. You have Satan's ministers out there, servants out there, like the head of the evangelical Lutheran church in America. Do you read this list that past week? She said that her denomination teaches that abortion must be legal, regulated and accessible. And the gist of it was about, uh, was about dignity for all. She said, it's about dignity for all. That's, that's the driving thing. Dignity for all. Now, don't we, we want dignity for all. Yes, I do. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved and respected? All those types of things. 
Doesn't that sound loving and kind and understanding and all those types of things. But you see, they have a warped understanding of the compassion and long suffering and kindness of God, because they have a religion that's shaped for the wicked hearts of men, not the glory of God. It's about the convenience of people and remaining in our sin and, and, and from the pulpit, us making, you know, this is coming from the leadership down. God's grace and his loving kindness is not to be mistaken for him condoning that which Christ died to save us from. Make no mistake. God saves us out of sin. It's not unloving for God to say, repent. It is the most loving thing that could possibly happen when he comes to a sinner like Matt and says, come out of sin, come to me, repent. Amen. And the same with the LTB 3.14 situation going on. The affirming churches that will misquote scripture to justify the acceptance of sin of their own leadership and its people. It's a man centered religion. That's what's going on there. It's a man centered religion. It's about what we want in our worship and how we want to approach God and him to accept us as we are, instead of changing to reflect his glory. That is a lie. And I'm telling you these, these things, because there's other things like spiritual pride or whatever it might be. And in all types of situations, evangelical church is full of problems, but we cannot change the word of God to meet our sinfulness. We all, we all sit under his word. We must change and repent and come to him. These are the first words that come from Jesus, but you know, it's a man centered religion. And that is what Satan wants. You can be religious church. Listen to me right now. You can be religious. You can go to church, but it has to be crossless. It has to be crossless. You cannot go through the cross. Paul says of these spiritual leaders who are leading people in this deception, second Corinthians chapter two verses 11. No, second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 through 15 says for such men are false prophets. So as false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that is if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. That's a scary thing. And so the enemy knows the Bible. His camo is light. He masquerades in light. He camos his camouflage is light. And the enemy knows his Bible and Satan here in Matthew four or five quotes, Psalm 91. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. God said he wouldn't let anything happen to you. And Jesus responds in verse seven here at the end. And he says there to him again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord to God to your test. He's quoting De- Deuteronomy six sixteen. We got, we've got to know this. It says there in Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord God of your test as you did to him at, as you tested him at, at, at uh, Massa. And Jesus understood uh, that to, uh, 
that although these things were true, God would catch him if he fell. It would not be honoring to his father to be testing him. And actually the word Massa means testing. That's how that, that place got its name because that was the place in the wilderness where the Hebrews tested God complaining about a lack of water. And they started complaining about a lack of water and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they said, is God even among us? Is God really among us? We're sitting here and we're thirsty. Remember God's testing and they murmured and they complained. And Jesus knows he's in the wilderness and he's being tested. He's not going to fail where they did. But it says in Exodus 17, seven there, and they called the name of the place Massa and, and Meribah because of the quarreling in the, of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? How many of you in your life said, is God even here anymore? And so then you do something stupid. Insert humanity, right? Hey, we've all got our stories on that one. I'm going to force God to show up or to rescue me, or I do something stupid knowing that God will have to save me. I'm going to go ahead and jump anyone else or just me. And just to give you an idea, he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle. It's 450 feet tall there. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian and says, throw yourself down. That's the center of the worship of Israel there. And he knows he's going to jump. And he's going to be caught and everybody's going to be watching. It would have been spectacular. He would have instantly been the Messiah, so to speak. But you see, Jesus knew his father. Jesus knew that wasn't the father's plan of how he would reveal his son nor glorify him. Listen to this. The father had another plan to reveal his son. The father had another plan to glorify his son. And it wasn't by jumping off the temple and being miraculously saved. It was by being lifted up on a cross and dying. The way up is down. It's different, not his own glory. So he died Yes, Jesus performed miracles as the scripture said in the Messiah, but the Jews were seeking a sign and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you the miraculous sign that you want is the sign of Jonah. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'll rise again. I'm going to be about the will of my father. And so Jesus says to Satan, no, I'm not putting God to the test. He is with me. How many of you are tempted to do the same? force God's hand because he isn't moving or something's not happening in your life that you don't want. Wait, don't test him. Wait and worship, trust him. Seek the Lord in his word in this moment. Find out the discernment you need, not only from yourself, but godly believers and resources he's put around you. Don't just go to the internet, please. It gets, gets, that's, that's, there's no accountability there. Do it within the relationship of the church that God has put around you. The godly people care about you in and out. Yes, there's, there's wisdom out there, but gather together the saints and, and open the word of God. Come to the elders, ask for wisdom. Let us pray together and seek God together and, and find out the heart of God in the matter and get wisdom. And then you'll have discernment and you'll know what's pleasing to do the Lord. And don't be embarrassed about not knowing 
the elders and I are going through this right now with everything going on with the, with the building stuff. We don't know. We're seeking the Lord and we're bringing things together. We're going to bring it to you and we're going to pray, you know, <laughs> what God, what's your will? Give us discernment in all of this. And we, we, that's just a microcosm of what's happening in your individual lives. Just realize the enemy's crafty. Look beyond the bait to the hook. Get discernment. See what's really going on. Give yourself time to discern what's going on in your own heart. What are your motives for doing X, Y, and Z? Are you going to do that? So you get glorified or you want to avoid the cross. Maybe is the road ahead painful and you just want a way out. Seek the Lord and trust yourself to God and seek first the kingdom and obediently follow him and wait for his leading and his blessing in his time. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. I know it was a long one. It's okay. God is so good. His word is rich church. May we be discerning, not a worldly discernment, but a discernment that comes from our father. Amen. And I have a long way to grow. I have a long way to grow. Do you too? Amen. Let's do that together. Father, may we, as Paul prayed, grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that we would have the wisdom that you would have for us in this age and these times we live in. Not that we would be the clever church or any of that stuff, but we would just learn how to walk in a way that would glorify you in this time, not according to the world's wisdom, but according to the wisdom of your son, give us your Christ likeness more and more every day as we seek you and love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we just, ask for your mercy upon our nation and that you would fight the spiritual battle that's raging. Our kids are being brainwashed and nonsense, God. And there's a generation of just destruction headed our way. It's here. And yet you are the light. You are the hope. And so God, I pray that we would not grow weary in doing well, but we would seek first the kingdom and, and that you would, I don't know, Jesus, you said the laborers are few and in the field is ripe for harvest. And if that's how you see the spiritual condition, then we trust that you know better. And so Lord, we pray that we would enter into that field as men and women of the word and who know you and who walk in the truth and love of God. And we pray this all bless us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.